Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. My turn to welcome you, and I do. If you're a guest of ours, we are honored to have you with us this morning. I want to set up my thoughts this morning with a picture that uh, a lot of you are going to be able to relate to. It's a picture of my grandchildren with Mr. and Mrs. Santa Claus. Uh, My daughter and her husband took the kids to uh, Lipscomb University's Lighting of the Green. It's kind of a Christmas celebration. One of the things you can do is meet Santa Claus and the kids can tell him what they want for Christmas and that kind of thing. Here's the picture. Um, I'm sure you have one a lot like it somewhere in your uh, scrapbooks. Uh, That's my granddaughter, Grayson, in the middle, being Grayson, sweet, quiet, kind. Uh, The youngest, Zeke, there being held by Santa Claus, he's not into it. Um, He doesn't get the whole concept quite yet, so he wants down. But it's really my other grandson that I want you to pay attention to and kind of notice. That's Locke, sitting beside Mrs. Claus. You need to know this about Locke. He is all boy. I mean, that kid, from the moment he wakes up in the morning till the second he goes to sleep at night, he is in high gear. There is no idle on his throttle. I mean, he is asking questions. He's making observations. He is this giant personality crammed into this tiny little body. But as he's sitting there, you can tell he's thinking about something. In fact, my daughter said, you know, they got up there and they told Santa Claus what they wanted. Then they sat down for the picture. And she and her husband both said, what's wrong with Locke? He never sits like that. Something's up with Locke. What's going on with Locke? And as soon as the picture was taken and they all got down, Locke walked up to my daughter and just burst into tears. Just started crying uncontrollably. You know, she picks him up. What's wrong, buddy? You did great. You know, you did so good sitting there by Santa Claus. Why are you crying? And when he finally got control of himself, he said, when Santa Claus asked me what I wanted, I was so nervous I didn't know what to say. (laughs) Now I won't get anything. Maggie told him, listen, he already knows just what you want. And trust me, you're going to love it. Now, we could argue the message there, but I'm not going to do that this morning. What I want to do this morning is follow up on my lesson from last week when we talked about the greatest gift of all time. Now, what are we asking for? What are we expecting? Is God withholding from us? Or, you know, is it, might, might we miss our chance if we get it wrong? Is God going to give us what we want? More importantly, is God going to give us what we need? No, most of the time when we think about our lives, when we think about God, when we think about gifts, we know what we want, right? We know what we ask God for. We know what we really hope for God to give us. We know what we want. I'm not positive we always know what we need. Last week, I I focused on the Gospel of John and John's introduction to Jesus into the world. Uh, Jimmy read the first several verses in the book of John. I didn't even ask him to this morning, but it fit perfectly with my sermon. Last week, I sort of focused on John 1.14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. I want to stay in that passage, but I want to back up a couple verses. 
Notice what John says in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. He's talking about Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. This morning I want to focus specifically on that phrase in verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That perfect gift that we talked about last week, it's a gift that we have to receive You know, this is a time of year when we give and receive a lot of gifts, right? Maybe you've already done that. You're probably going to do it in the next several days. Maybe at an office party or extended family or on Christmas morning. You'll probably give some gifts and you'll probably receive gifts, right? And we know how that works. You give a gift, someone unwraps it, they thank you for it, and kind of go on. We, We know how the game's played, right? But could you imagine if you gave a gift to someone and they didn't open it? They just took it and left. And you see them later on that week and you say, Hey, did you like that gift that I gave you? And they said, "Uh, Yeah, I haven't got around to opening it yet. But I'm going to this weekend. I'm going to open that gift this weekend. And then you see them a week later and say, Hey, how did you like that gift I gave you? Because I put a lot of time and thought into that. You know, did it? Did it? connect with you? And they say, well, I haven't really gotten around to opening it yet, but I'm going to. I'm going to open that gift. And that goes on for like a couple months. You keep having the same conversation. And after a while, you finally realize that gift is worthless to them. Now, you know it's not a worthless gift because you know what the gift is. And you know what you sacrificed or paid or or, or did to, to give the gift. You know there's some worth to the gift. But as far as they're concerned, it's worthless. They've never opened it. They've never enjoyed it. They've never experienced it. They never exactly received the gift. When I was growing up, I had a a step-grandmother who really wasn't very grandmotherly. She was a wonderful woman, very godly woman, but I never really thought of her as my grandmother. I always just thought of her as Mildred. In fact, we all called her Mildred, because that was her name. That's why we called her Mildred. Uh, Mildred was the giver of very eclectic gifts. And I knew when I got a Christmas present from Mildred, it was going to be something that was disappointing. (laughs) When I was 12 years old, Mildred gave me a book. In fact... She gave me this book. You can't read it from where you're sitting, but the book is The Johnstown Flood by David McCullough. (laughs) Now, where I grew up, the Johnstown Flood was, still is a pretty big deal in western Pennsylvania, but I'm 12 years old. (laughs) And she gives me a book. And it's not like I was a smart 12-year-old, okay? (laughs) It's not like I love books. I mean, this book has very little pictures in it. What am I going to do with a book? But I had been taught how to receive the gift. My mother told me, listen, when Mildred gives you a gift, I want you to smile. 
I want you to act excited. I want you to thank her and Papa. But Mom, it's going to be something. I don't care what it is. You thank Papa and Mildred for your gift. So here's the book. The Johnstown Flood. To a 12-year-old. I smiled. I thanked Mildred for the book. I took the book home. I put it on a shelf. I never opened it. I never read it. I never appreciated it. My dad read it. I suspect maybe Randy read the book. I don't know. It sat on my shelf for decades. I never read the book. I didn't want the book. What I wanted was a G.I. Joe. What I wanted was Hot Wheels. That's what I was into. What did John mean when he wrote in John 1.12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I mentioned last week that gift of Jesus wasn't necessarily the gift of Jesus in the manger. The gift of Jesus on the cross. Jesus as a Savior. He left heaven, came to earth, lived a perfect life, was crucified for our sins. God brought him back to life three days later, and today he reigns as Lord and King. And John said, those who receive him and believe in his name have the right to become children of God. So how do we receive that gift? Let me share with you a couple thoughts, really just a couple quick reminders of of how to receive the gift. And first, we receive that gift with gratitude. Paul, in talking about God's gift of grace and forgiveness and love and, and the gift of Jesus, says in 2 Corinthians 9, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Paul says this is a gift that goes beyond description. Remember, Paul is one of the most educated men of his day. And Paul says, I don't have the words. I I don't have the vocabulary to describe to you the magnitude, the beauty, the, the perfect gift that has been given to us. It is indescribable. But I can tell you how to receive that gift. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Receive it with gratitude. We didn't earn the gift. We can't pay for the gift. We can't match the gift, but we can thank Him. I remind you in the verse we were last week, John 1, 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. God sent His Son into this earth to live as a human being. Trust me, there's nothing we can do for God. There's nothing we can give God. We can't impress God or or pay Him back for the gift that He's given us. God has given so generously. What we can do is receive graciously. God expects us to be gracious. He expects us to be obedient and loving and devoted. But He also expects us to be gracious. It's also a gift that we should receive with humility. Paul would write in Galatians 6, As for me, God forbid that I should boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world died long ago, and the world's interest in me is also long dead. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my Lord. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them 
for his blood? Is that how it goes? Yeah. Paul says it better in Galatians, by the way. But Paul's saying the same thing. All the trappings, all the comforts, all the gifts that the world makes such a big deal about doesn't mean anything to me anymore. It's not what motivates me. That's not what drives me. What drives me is the gift of a Savior who came and died for me. Have you ever noticed before that the greater the gift, sometimes the harder it is to accept? You know, if someone gives you socks and underwear for Christmas, okay, thank you, appreciate it. But if someone gives you a gift that is just so far and above what you ever could have expected, it's hard to accept, isn't it? I mean, if someone came to you and said, listen, I I know you're having transportation problems, I want to give you a car. I want to pay off your medical bills. I, I want to take care of your student debt. Most of us would have a hard time accepting those kinds of gifts. It's too much. It's too much of a sacrifice. I could never repay that. I, I could never match that. No, I, I can't let you do that. Now, some of you are thinking, I'd like to test your theory on that, Tim. <laughs> but I think it's true. I think our pride comes into play, and we'd say, no, I, I can't accept that kind of gift. It, it's just too much. See, Paul knew he didn't deserve the gift that God was offering in Jesus. He wasn't worthy of a gift like that. No money, no wealth, no status, no fame could buy what God gave. But Paul also understood God's giving exactly what I need. Peace, comfort, forgiveness, Jesus. Even when Paul didn't know that he needed Jesus, God knew he needed Jesus. And that's the gift. In his unworthiness, I think probably because of his unworthiness, he needed Jesus. James, Jesus' brother, would write in his book, actually quoting Proverbs, when he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We're to receive the gift with humility. Then also, we're to receive the gift with joy. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk a lot about joy. But do you want to hear some really joyful news this morning? You've already heard it. I'll tell you again. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here's some joyful news. God chose you. Somebody go ahead and say amen. God chose you. Thank you. I'm working hard up here. See, we're so used to hearing that, right? That's not new news to us. But could you imagine hearing that for the first time? Hey, God chose you. Could you imagine kind of understanding that for the first time, the magnitude of that gift that God chose me? I don't know how many times you've ever exploded with joy in your life. I've exploded with joy a few times in my life. February of 2009... When Ben Roethlisberger hit Santonio Holmes in the corner of the end zone to come back and win the Super Bowl for the Steelers, Martha will tell you I exploded with joy. In 2011, in game 162, when Evan Longoria hit a home run in extra innings in the last game of the season to beat the Yankees, 
and to knock the Boston Red Sox out of the playoffs and send the, send the Tampa Bay Rays to the postseason, Martha and I both exploded with joy. We were doing our best Jack Buck. I don't believe what I just saw. We were dancing around the room. We exploded with joy. And yes, I exploded with joy when I married my wife and when my kids were born. I've, all those things don't run me down. I've had a lot of joyful things happen to me. But shouldn't we explode with joy when we hear, God chose me? God chose me. See, I know God. I know a little bit of what God's like. I know a lot of what me's like. God chose me. Say that out loud with me. God chose me. Now say it with a smile on your face. God chose me. Now turn to the person beside you and very joyfully say, God chose me. Go. Now turn to the person beside you and very joyfully say, and he chose you too. There you go. That's good news. We receive the gift with tremendous joy because God chose me. We receive this gift with gratitude. We receive the gift with humility. We receive the gift with joy. And then finally, we receive this gift with expectation. Uh, Let me go back and say something about my gift from Mildred. I had absolutely no expectations when she gave me this book. It didn't register with me on any level. I knew I wasn't going to read it. I never expected to read it. I never expected to enjoy it. And like I said, I had no use for it. It sat in my closet for decades. But guess what? I'm not 12 years old anymore. And I'm not 30 anymore. I've changed, I've grown. And believe it or not, that book is one of my very favorite books in my library now. I've grown to where I love history. I love reading about history. I love that that book strikes a personal chord with me. Uh, My grandfather grew up very close to Johnstown, Pennsylvania. He was born 11 years after the Great Flood. He actually lived through the second Johnstown Flood. That book gives me some insight into what his childhood might have been like but I've also grown to appreciate Mildred so much more. She died years ago, but I understand her better now than I ever did as a little boy. Why would she give that book to a 12-year-old boy? Because she knew I was going to change. She knew I was going to grow. She knew that one day I might very well appreciate a gift like that. She knew I wasn't going to play with Hot Wheels very much longer. She was challenging me to grow up. I think I probably took a little longer than she might have wished, but but she was challenging me to grow up. God's perfect gift comes with an expectation. In the giving of the gift, God is challenging us. He's expecting us to grow up to receive this gift with an expectation. Jesus isn't some one-time gift. No, he was given, I received it, it's done, over. 
Jesus keeps stretching us, growing us, changing us. Yeah, I'll use the word transforming us. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 3, And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When all of us received the gift of Jesus, our understanding wasn't where it is today. And our understanding, I hope, isn't where it will be in the future. We're growing. We're changing. Maybe your level of commitment wasn't where it is today. You know, maybe for you, Christianity was something that just got your parents off your back. Or something that you got involved with because it was sort of socially acceptable. Or you wanted your kids to be involved in some structured religious you know, environment, something like that. And you showed up at church once a week. And you sang some songs and you listened to a sermon and you checked the box and you were set for another week. But then something happened. And over the course of two years or ten years or, or twenty years, you begin to realize just how important the gift is and you mature, and you grow, and you're forced to deal with life, you're forced to deal with death, and you find yourself being transformed into His likeness. And there's nothing that we do, it's the Holy Spirit at work, it's God's Spirit at work within us, and that's exactly how God expected and intended it to be. That no matter where I am, no matter what I'm going through, no matter my level of understanding, no matter how deep or how shallow my faith might be, the Holy Spirit is at work in my life. If I'm a child of God, it's the Holy Spirit is at work in my life, transforming me to be more like Jesus. Let me go back to that image of my grandson. That moment when he realizes, I've blown it. And I'm not getting anything. That moment as he is fighting back tears, so upset, so disappointed that somehow he's missed the gift. You know, I guess there's a depth of hopelessness that maybe only a four-year-old can experience when he, when he realizes Santa's not coming through and it's my fault. Again, I think my daughter had the perfect answer. He knows the perfect gift for you. And you're going to love it. You know, maybe this morning you're feeling just that hopeless. Maybe you're like my grandson. You're holding it together as best you can. But you know, you're not going to hold it together much longer. Because maybe you're convinced you've blown it. Maybe you're thinking, God's not going to come through for me. And it's my fault. I'm not getting anything. Listen, God has the perfect gift for you. And I promise you, you're going to love it. He is offering a gift that's been paid for. It's yours. All you have to do is receive it. In gratitude, in humility, in joy, with expectation, receive the gift. Now, maybe you're here today and you've never received that gift. Guess what? Most people haven't. In fact, Scripture tells us most people won't. 
When it comes to a decision about Jesus, most people in the world are going to say, mm, thanks, but no thanks. And then there's people that don't even know about the gift. They don't even know the story of Jesus, and that's on us, by the way. But the gift is offered. And the gift is offered to everyone. How do you receive the gift? You receive the gift by believing that Jesus is who he said he was, the Son of God. That God sent him from heaven to live a life here, the perfect life. That he went to a cross, that God brought him back to life. That today he reigns in heaven. You receive the gift by repenting of your sins. By understanding just what you have done and who you are. And how good God has been in a commitment that that's not who you want to be anymore. You want to be like Jesus. And you receive the gift by going public with that information. That Jesus isn't just Lord and Savior. He's my Lord and Savior. And you receive the gift by obediently being baptized. Just like God asked us to do. You're not baptized into a church. You're baptized into Jesus. Have the forgiveness of your sins and the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And then the Bible says in the book of Revelation, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. That's how we receive the gift. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's good news. Doesn't get any better than that. Merry Christmas. Let's stand and sing.